Hello everyone, now welcome back to another episode of The Casual Martial Artist, episode 2. And I am Al, and of course with me is Marcus. So, how's it going today? Pretty good, yourself? Well, uh, we have snow now, so I'm not too crazy about that. I'm I'm hoping right. we have a light winter, but yeah, you never know. <laughs> right. So, today's topic... I'm going to have Marcus introduce this one because this was his idea, and I did actually like the idea for the topic, which is going to be the Dirty Dozen. So uh, why don't you tell, start by telling us a little bit about where you heard about this topic and why you thought it would be a fun one to cover. Well, um, I started out on a lot of um, MMA forums and um, self-defense forums back in the late and mid-90s. Um, there was a general. There was a lot of discussion going on about the what essential techniques you teach somebody um, with no experience or with very little experience, or say someone comes from a particular style, and there's maybe some things that they may not teach in that style that you would consider essentials to go along with it. There's a gentleman named Mark Tripp who did a lot of, uh, who's influenced me a lot in my thinking, and um, certain old timers from the military era. Um, I don't know if you've heard Rex Applegate and James Fairbairn, gentleman named O'Neill. They did a lot of, had a lot of influence on how I'm thinking right here, you know, having to do with this topic right now. So yeah, we came together and some of this is my take on what was, what was said and what was the conclusions that were come to from this. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but this is where I come from. Yeah. And again, these of course are just our opinions. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do have the email address I put up, poigamestudio at gmail.com. So if, uh, you know, maybe after listening to this episode, if you decide that, you know, maybe there's a technique that you don't think belongs on either of our lists. Or maybe there's one that uh, you think that uh, we could have covered. You know, feel free to email us. And also, again, like I said, these are just our opinions. And with some of this stuff, it could be, of course, potentially dangerous to the person you apply it to. So... Let's just get that disclaimer out of the way. Use it at, you know, use it kind of at your own risk. And, you know, we hope that for anyone who has actually studied martial arts, you're, you feel confident in your ability to apply these techniques correctly and to do it only in a situation where that use of that level of force is warranted. But again, uh, self-defense in the law, that's a, that's a topic for we could maybe cover at a, a future time. So exactly. Well, we shared our list before recording this episode, and there's two techniques that both of us had in our list. So let's start with those two first. And first one is the sidekick. Yes, um, the low sidekick, especially to the something like the knee or the shin or the oblique kick, like you know, you know, you could point it at the obliques. Um, I personally prefer the chasse from Box Francaise Savat. Um, but you don't have to. I only choose that because it's got the shoe, and mm-hmm. presumably you're going to have shoes on when you're going to be applying some of these more often than not, so that's where I come from. So um, I think it's an essential technique and something that almost anyone can learn to apply. Yeah, and one of the reasons that I thought sidekick should be one of the weapons that every martial artist should have is because of versatility. Again, very versatile in that. You can throw it low, you can throw it at, you know, like to the knee or to the, the shin, um, side of the leg, depending on your position. You can throw mm-hmm. it, you know, to the stomach, to the chest. You can, if you're 
really flexible or in the right position, you can throw it to someone's face. But again, it's a powerful kick, very versatile. You can throw it standing, you know, standing still like to your actual side. Uh, You can do it like a, like a, you can do a pivoting side kick. You can spin. If you're really athletic, you can do a jumping spin, siding kick, uh, something crazy like, um, you know, I know like some of the higher levels of Taekwondo, they get into some of those crazy kicks. But like I said, just the versatility and the power behind it, I think, makes it an essential technique that everyone should know. Exactly. Um, And just about every art teaches some form of it. Yep. I mean, there's some that don't make much use of it, like Muay Thai, of course, doesn't, they, they favor the round kick, but. They, I'm, some schools still teach a side kick, if only how to defend it when they're facing other martial artists. Yeah, and also another thing about when you talk about the actual mechanics of the foot and where you're striking, you know, that of course has its own differences as well. Where, mm-hmm. uh, like some of the, there's three different ways I've learned to throw it, where some it's just striking with the bottom of the the whole bottom of the foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was doing tank pseudo, it was more you're kind of pulling your foot back so that you are striking primarily with the heel, whereas mm-hmm. in Kung Nu, it's a little different where you're more angling your foot so you're striking with the side of it. So when you do side kicks, which part of the foot do you usually tend to strike with? Um, The heel, because yeah. again, that goes along with the savat style. Yeah, and I tend to do just kind of like the whole bottom of the foot, uh, mainly because mm-hmm. I don't quite have the flexibility to really pull my <laughs> pull my foot back to hit with the edge or the heel. So the right. the second technique that again both of us had in our lists was the elbow strike. Mm. And your take on it would be. Well, for me, I like it because for a couple reasons. The elbow is a you know it's a pretty solid part of the body. Uh, also, like the sidekick, it's very versatile. You know, you can throw mm-hmm. it in with a, you know, an upward motion like a like an uppercut. Right. You can come in like a crawl, like a hook punch. You can Any go, angle. Yep, go down. Um, you can th- you thrust it out. So again, you've got that hard part of the body as well as you know several different ways you can throw it. So mm-hmm. that's another reason I think it's so it's so valuable is because of that versatility. Exactly. If you watch any Muay Thai fight, um, some of the most devastating strikes that are thrown in each fight are elbow strikes. I mean, guys get cut, they get knocked out cold, or they get, they get, you know, just seriously damaged. It's a really, really, really good technique to use, you know, the hardest, one of the hardest parts of your body and use it on any, just about any part of anyone else's body with great success. Yeah. And one way I saw it used very devastating uh, in a very de- devastating fashion. It was one of the earlier UFCs. I don't remember which one, because uh, my roommate, we're going to be talking about the UFC in a future episode, but one of my uh, my first roommate in college, so this would have been either late 94 or early 95, mm-hmm. he brought a tape from home of, you know, like one or two of the early UFCs. Now, again, I apologize. I don't know exactly when the UFC started, so it might have been even the first one. But there was, I forgot the guy's name. I think his first name was like Oleg. And he was primarily like judo or jujitsu. And mm-hmm. he was fighting against a significantly smaller guy. And again, I forgot the guy's name, but I think he was a kickboxer. And he got him onto the ground where uh, the, you know, the, the grappler guy had like one of his arms out. And it was like laying back on his chest. 
and then mm-hmm. just repeatedly jam, you know, hit him with elbow strikes to the eye or the side of the face. So it's like, yeah, the guy, he, I think after like, you know, two or three shots passed out, either passed out mm-hmm. or tapped out. I, I forgot which, but you know, the, the bigger guy won the fight in that case. So right. yeah, I can imagine how strikes like that would be very devastating, especially when you have a really big guy like that. Exactly. And even if, if it's a little guy, if you know, you know, if you practice it just a little bit, um, I think it can be used with a great effectiveness. Oh yeah. So from here, this is where we kind of, uh, diverge a little bit. And again, our, our different, um, trainings, I think are going to really kind of reflect here because you had some stuff in there going on that was from like jujitsu or grappling. Um, and there's a couple where you're using the, is it the Japanese names for them? Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what those mean. So you're (laughs) going to have to explain this to me there. And, and mine tend to be, so yeah, you tend to focus a lot more on the grappling where I've been more of the stand up stuff. Right. Okay. So what is your next technique for your dirty dozen? Okay. Before I list, I want to, uh, put a little caveat that the way I teach, the way I've I've shown about probably seven people, some self-defense moves in my time. I teach it from a a boxing base. I mean, you know, the footwork I teach, the hand moves I teach. So when you see the way I teach, it's going to come out from that. So number one on my list would be a straight finger jab. So you throw that basically the way you throw a jab in boxing. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, and again, disclaimer, I'm not telling anyone to go out and strike someone in the eyes, but <laughs> that's an effective move if you, you know, flick it out. And even if you just show it out there, sometimes it's enough for someone to, you know, flinch for that split second of time where you can, you know, plan your other move or, or run, which we discussed too. Yeah, because, uh, again, bit of dirty fighting, so obviously you're not going to really, but then again, I guess in a real world fight, is mm-hmm. there such a thing as really dirty fighting? But mm-hmm. obviously you wouldn't use that in competition, right. um, but probably not one you'd really use unless you were, it was really serious. Right. And the kind of people I've shown are people who any attack against them would be what I would consider really serious. I'm talking women or mm-hmm. LGBTQ people or even children. Yeah. I don't know about children because I don't want them to use it against <laughs> other children, but, you know, it's definitely when an adult is trying to harm them. Oh, yeah. I mean, if uh, you got a small child and someone's trying to drag him into the back of a truck, yeah, the, you know, as I told my son, it's like if someone's trying to drag you away, you know, you poke him in, you know, you kick him in the nuts, you right. do what you need to do you to get out. To yep. Mm. So that, okay, so my next technique is the nut shot. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Actually, the uh, next one I had was the hammer fist. And... The reason I like this one and why I think it's essential, uh, you can put a lot of power behind it, mm-hmm. like the sidekick, like the like the elbow strike. It's versatile. You know, you can mm-hmm. throw it coming, you know, down like an, from an overhead strike. Right. You can throw it kind of from the side. Um, right. You know, you can do like an underhand. So very versatile. I also find it a bit more forgiving. Um, so I, that's why I think it's good for people who maybe they learn a little bit of self-defense, but they're not going to go into long-term study. Because obviously right. with like a, well, if a knife hand, yeah, you're hitting, primarily you're hitting with the same part, that meaty part of the bottom of your hand. Right. But if you mess up your distance and hit with your fingers, it's going to hurt. Right. Um, same thing, of course, with the good old fashioned two knuckle punch. 
you know, if your, you know, your wrist is bent too much or, you know, you hit something too hard with those knuckles, again, you, you stand the chance of hurting yourself. But that's mm-hmm. what I like about Hammer Fist. It's a good, powerful strike that's for, pretty forgiving if you're not, you know, if you don't have a lot of martial arts training. Right. Now, I love the Hammer Fist as well as the Knife Hand, and they've just barely, barely, barely missed my list. Only because I teach them the way I've shown people is a finishing move once, um, you know, if it comes to that and the person is like bent over or something, you know, bring that down at a, you know, I won't describe it here, but certain parts of the anatomy that you're going to want to finish, finish off with mm-hmm. as part of a, a, a two or three shot combination. But, um, yeah, very effective. And I love those techniques and they just barely mi- missed the list. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So why don't you go with your next technique? Technique for me would be the palm heel. Okay. And again, um, delivered like a boxing punch, like a straight right hand or a straight left hand, depending if you're, you know, what stance you're from or a hook punch. Um, very versatile, can be thrown in close situations. And all these things, well, these two or four, two techniques I've just mentioned can also be trained. You know, you can train with boxing gloves on with either fists, which can translate into using them, you know, with the same timing and accuracy and coordination as you would, you know, applying them in real life. Okay. And... Yeah, because uh, I like the heel, the heel palm too. Uh, again, mm-hmm. as you said, it's very good for like close up, um, either getting someone underneath the chin or mm-hmm. you know getting them in the nose. Uh, right. If you're getting positioned correctly, getting them in the side of the head. So, right. um, I don't know. It's not a strike that I personally would probably throw to someone's stomach, mm-hmm. but you know, right. yeah, for the face, it's and even um, like I said in kung, the style of kung fu I studied. There's a couple of techniques that involve like after blocking attack and you know grabbing like an attacker's arm to control mm-hmm. it, you know coming in with a heel palm to the elbow. So again, it's a good way to um, you know cripple their elbow for a little bit to give you a little bit of extra you know time. Right. So my next technique, the knee strike. You can throw it to the nuts, of course, but um, okay, no more nut shots, sorry, <laughs> but. The knee strike, again, it's versatile. You can come straight up. Uh, you can come in from the side. Really good for uh, close-up fighting, if, especially if you've, you can grab onto your attacker. And mm-hmm. again, the knee is a hard part, pretty hard part of the body, so even if you don't have a lot of training, it's very forgiving if you don't mm-hmm. quite strike correctly. Again, one of the techniques that I really, really like that just missed the list, I mean, I like a knee a lot, especially the Muay Thai clinch, um, the knees from that, devastating techniques to use. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in love with knee, knee strikes, but, again, much like the uh, hammer fist, they've just missed the list. Okay, so your next technique? My next technique would be, let's see, Osotogari from uh, Judo. It's basically uh, uh, reaping foot throw, like, like tripping the guy, like getting an angle on him and kicking your heel back and kicking his feet out from under him. Um, one of the most basic throws in judo, one of the most effective throws in judo. When you practice that a few times and get to where you can pull it off, it's very, very, very interesting. I've seen guys win medal, gold medals just with that throw. So. Okay, and where did you say that it uh, usually strike with that one? Um, basically, it's you held up with a guy and you're kicking your heel back mm-hmm. and kicking his leg out from under him, and at the same time, 
you've got the grip on them and you're pulling them down. Okay. So yeah, I've probably, it's one of those things I've probably seen because like I said, just working out with, mm -hmm. um, and I, we haven't, like I said, with, in the last episode with Kung New, it does incorporate some judo. Um, mm -hmm. I think we did do something like that, but I don't remember if that was the, the exact title that the instructor name gave to it. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I mean, any, you know, takedowns I think are always good and very, always very helpful to learn. Right. So my next technique is wrist lock. And one of the re there's a couple reasons why I like the wrist lock and why I think it's a good uh, essential move is first, it's applicable for a lot of self-defense type situations where someone like grabs onto you. Because um, mm -hmm. if you grab, if you can get control of their hand, you know, you can start turning their uh, wrist in a direction it doesn't like to go. And right. depending on the situation, what your positioning is, you can easily turn it into a takedown. Where, because mm. um, again, if, especially if you catch someone off guard, you know, you grab it, you get them in that good wrist lock and then just torque them to their, to the outside of their body. And, right. you know, most people, they're going to go with it just because of the, you know, the pain in, involved. Right. Um, I was influenced in the early days by Aikido. They've got a technique called Nikyo. It's a wrist lock where you're basically twisting the wrist in two different directions to break it. So I, but then when jujitsu came out, you know, at first I drank the Kool-Aid thinking that, you know, okay, forget all that other stuff. This is really the way to go. But um, about seven, six, seven years ago, there was a jujitsu black belt named Roy Dean. He brought out a, because he had a background in Aikido before jujitsu. So he learned how to apply some of this stuff during jujitsu grappling sessions and that really changed my opinion about wrist locks. And now I'm a huge fan of wrist locks and small joint locks in general. So yeah, yeah really good stuff. Yeah. The, and uh, another thing that's nice about it is if there's also, at least in Kung Fu, you know, there's also a technique where it did like a flip over where mm -hmm. it's meant to kind of get them to bend down, which of course mm -hmm. is good because you can continue to use that to force them to the ground. Right. Or you could of course kick them in the face or, you know, throw a knee to their, their stomach. So like I said, it's a right. good, very, I don't think it really takes a lot of power to pull it off effectively, which is mm -hmm. another reason I think it's a really good practical technique. And there's a reason why like security officers and police officers use those techniques to restrain and control assailants. So, okay. Good stuff. Okay. What you got next? My next technique would be the double leg takedown. Um, it's taught in just about every art from judo to freestyle wrestling um, really good technique, um, especially if, you know, if you find yourself being down on your knees and, you know, you can bury yourself, your head inside the person's middle and, you know, if you got the leverage, you know, like I said, some of these techniques aren't for every body type, but these are the ones I think people can remember and pull off the most. Yeah, the so I probably I mean I'm sure it's probably one of those techniques we've seen that you see a lot in MMA. MMA I can't talk. Uh, you know yeah. UFC and MMA. Mm -hmm. And they had a version in judo, which I'm not sure because I don't keep up with the rules a lot, but they might have outlawed just now. So even if if they're outlawed technique in judo for some reason, I always think that's pretty indicative of how effective it is. Okay, and then. Um, so once you got someone with that double leg takedown, would it, would you, you know, try to use that to like as a chance to get up on your feet or would you probably use it more to like go and engage them on the ground? Um, 
Depends. Depends on. Um, it leads into another technique that I have on here. So there, that's one um, way to do it. Like, um, if you have, I always say, if you have the chance to get and run, do that first. But if yeah. the guy's got a hold on you and won't let go, then you have no other choice but to deal with it while you're down there. Okay. Well, you had mentioned uh, that you, know, you you like the small lock, you know, the small joint lock. So that gets mm-hmm. me to my next one, the finger lock, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, the, the reason I like it is it's good for self-defense situations, like if someone's grabbing onto you because, you know, you get one of their fingers, just, you know, bend it back, and then that forces the wrist up. And, right. again, this is what I learned in Kung Fu, so that uh, – I also thought that was really a it was a, a simple technique, um, especially if you're in a situation where you think the person maybe they're not really interested in fighting, they're just trying to boss you around, or they you know maybe right. they are you know threatening to to beat you up, but maybe you're at a bar and the person's drunk. You know, you get them right. in a good finger lock, well then it hurts them, and maybe they that pain caused them to realize, well maybe I shouldn't mess with this person. Right. Right. Um, and it's funny that you bring that up because that's what I was alluding to earlier. I mean, when it's a man-on-man str- confrontation, you have to decide what level of threat it is. And that kind of technique is perfect for this kind of scenario that's not really life or death that you talk about. Yeah. And, and, Just to de-escalate things before they get to that situation, to that level. Yeah. And again, like I said, this is a topic I think we should we could cover at a future date. But the whole legality mm-hmm. about self-defense where um, – you know, I mean, of course, granted us being in Wisconsin, you know, our laws on self-defense are going to be way different than, you know, California, New York or, or anywhere else. But, right. um, you know, one of the things that's always good is if you can diffuse a situation with the minimal amount of damage to the attacker as possible. Exactly. Um, especially if you are in a public situation where there's a lot of witnesses around and uh, they might... You know, there might be people there that might testify on your behalf, but there might also be people there that would testify against you. Exactly. And uh, it leads into something else that's that's interesting because, um, you know, you and I are getting together discussing physical techniques, whereas, you know, there's other techniques such as awareness, you know, how to develop your environmental awareness or whatever, that are probably more effective than these because these will those will guarantee to keep you out of trouble, which is, whereas these could get you into more even if you're successful defending yourself could get you into more legal trouble. Yeah. Cause that's one thing we did drill a lot in a screamer and also in Kung new, we uh, drill a lot about that too. And get mentioned in the last, the first episode, you know, the steps mm-hmm. for, you know, the awareness and how, right. you know, it's important to be aware of your surroundings. And like right. one of the things they teach in the Kung new version of it is avoidance is one of them where mm-hmm. sometimes the best, you know, as we were saying, sometimes the best defense is, not to get into a a combative situation in the first place. <laughs> right. So, okay, what you got next? Okay. Next, I've got the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu leg trip. Again, okay. he supposes you're already in a clinching situation with someone and um, you got the angle. You basically wrap your leg around theirs and kick it out from under them and trip them. You know, it's more to it than that. I'm really dumbing it down to its lowest common denominator, but... The BJJ leg trip. You see a okay. lot in MMA. You see it a lot in jiu-jitsu. So. Okay. I'm actually going to – okay, maybe that's another technique that both of us had in common there because uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to move uh, one of the techniques up on my list here because the other mm-hmm. one, this is a technique that I learned in Kung Fu, which uh, we, we just called it the leg sweep takedown. 
So, mm-hmm. but I, it sounds like it's the same thing where you're you're basically the back of your knee against the back of the attacker's knee, mm-hmm. and then yep. you know you straighten out your leg, which of course causes the opponent to go off balance. But right. Uh, yeah, that's another one that I really liked because it was really, again, it's really effective if you're in those close range situations. Now, right. did when when you were doing Taekwondo, did they ever go into any sort of leg sweep takedowns? No. Okay, because one of the guys I used to uh, work out with, who um, you know was like a second, I think at the time he was a second degree in uh, Taekwondo. He had a different version he taught, which used more of a solid leg or straight you know fully straight and that solid leg isn't good um mm-hmm. just you keep your legs straight so it was right. almost like you would uh you get keeping your legs straight you'd angle it to face away from the opponent and then you'd bring it up and then come you know and hit him from the back of the knee that way right so it seemed like it relied a bit more on power as opposed to the the, the speed right uh, my school in Taekwondo was more geared toward um, the Olympic Taekwondo style. It hadn't been yet a Olympic sport, but it was geared toward the tournaments that were coming out and a lot of um, uh, inter-franchise tournaments. You know, we go against schools in our own in the same franchise, but different locations. Okay, so yeah, your yours was more into the competitive uh, sparring aspect. Okay, it's cool. Right. Okay, what you got? Right. Okay, then side control position um, from jujitsu and judo. Um, basically a side pin, but again, more to it than that. But um, it's basically this ideal situation you'd want to end up in if you execute one of these takedowns. Um, outside of standing up, you know, you got to decide whether you want to be on the ground with your opponent or up. Ideally, it's up, but if you find yourself down, that's where you want to be. Um, there you can kind of bury your head into the opponent's body. You can set up strikes, you can set up blocks, and you can, um, or just hold the person until, um, you know, safety arrives or something like that, if that's possible. Okay, and because when uh, I did American Freestyle Karate, when we did some of the jujitsu stuff in there, I think I remember that, because isn't like the three main positions for the ground, um, side mount, uh, then there's like one where you're on... uh, you're on top, a top mount, and then bottom mount? Side mount basically is this position I'm talking about. Okay. You got the, the mount, the guard, the, um, you know, and so other positions. Those are the ones that are most famous, of course, but when you get higher up in the judo and jiu-jitsu, you got a bunch of others. But those yeah. are the, that's the most, most basic one, in my opinion, and that's the one I would show people. Yeah, and I can see how that can be effective, because especially if you get on their side, you can put your weight on them, but then get your mm-hmm. arm around them and get them in a good headlock. So. Right. And there's ways, um, you don't really see it when they execute it in MMA, but especially in judo, ways to manipulate their clothing to keep them down and keep them from hitting you also. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, because uh, when I used to pick up the occasional, I'm wanting to say it was Black Belt magazine, because mm-hmm. uh, like if they had an article I thought was interesting and I didn't want to sit there and read it in the store, I would actually buy it. And I, they had one where a right. guy was talking about grappling with and without a gi. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's an interesting uh, subject as well, where when you are, you know, in composition, competition where both wrestlers, you know, both grapplers are wearing the gi, yes, that does open up some uh, new techniques where, you know, if you got someone like UFC where they're just wearing tights, you know, totally different right. environment there. Right, totally limited. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Well, my next one, this one is one of the few pressure points that I think is pretty universally, uh, you know, effective. Because I do want to touch about on pressure points in a future episode, but it's the back of the knuckle strike. Because uh, in the back of your knuckles there, specifically in back of the uh, ones by your index finger and middle finger, there's a point there where if you give it a good strike with your knuckle, mm-hmm. it hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, it's not like, you know, pressure points, of course, as they're applied in, uh, or how they're thought of in fiction where, you know, you hit someone in a pressure point and they're like paralyzed or something, but it just sends that quick jolt of pain through their hand and it's again it's one of those ones that's really good for self-defense type situations like if someone's right. grabbing you on the by the wrist and trying to pull you you know give them a good strike to the back of the knuckle and that might just cause enough um of a distraction that they loosen their grip so you can reverse it into a wrist lock or maybe just escape the you know escape the grasp entirely right and it's another one of those um when we were talking legalities, um, legal ramifications wouldn't be that great for that kind of technique, I wouldn't think. So, yeah, very effective. Yep. Okay. Okay. Next technique for me would be uh, stomp to the instep. Um, I think it's one of the best finishing moves. Um, theory being that a man or your attacker, man or woman, can't chase you if they can't walk right. So you give them a good stomp <laughs> on the instep, it's going to impede their walking. Or if they're behind you giving an imp, uh, doing a uh, head or a bear hug, actually. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. A good stomp to the instep is one of the only things you can do, really. Yeah, and, and I think it's effective for the same reason where also it's not really easy to to really block or evade that. Um, you know, especially, as I said, if you're, if you're grabbing someone from behind, uh, you're probably not going to see them. And, yeah, I've been kicked to the instep, too, and it's uh, <laughs> right. not fun. Right. Oh, man, you see that, believe it or not. Um, even though you're not supposed to in a boxing co- context, I've seen boxing matches where one fighter gets his incep stopped on and he's never the same. And that's basically what his opponent did to try to, you know, gain the advantage over him. So, defensive. yeah. And when I've been, uh, when I was uh, doing sparring at, um, you know, the, my Kung New school, it's like, I, I, there were several times where I did step on someone's foot, but I assure you that was more just out of clumsiness on my part as opposed to any actual techniques. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, I, I think it could, even then it can certainly kind of take him by surprise. I don't know if it would really keep him in place long enough for you to come in with a big hook. But like yeah. I said, in my cases there, it was sheer clumsiness on my part. It wasn't trying to right. fight dirty or do anything like that. Right. The way so, I teach it would be to... Uh... Basically, it's your the move you do before you start running. Basically, the flick the jab to the eye, stomp on the instep if you can, and you know get the heck out of there. Yeah, and and it's a good point as you mentioned before uh, when we were talking about the whole legality of self defense, and I think we touched right. on this a little bit in the last episode. Um, you know, generally in a self defense situation, you're encouraged to run away if possible. And right. something like this, yeah, you give them a good kick to the the foot, stomp to the foot, then that makes it a little easier for you to run away because they're going to be in. Right. It distracts them enough where you can start to get away. Right, and you won't get sued as badly if yeah. you just <laughs> hurt their instep. So my next one, this is one that uh, we learned in a screamer, and I know it also of course has done quite a bit in Muay Thai and kickboxing, mm-hmm. and that's the shin kick where this is one where you're striking with the shin 
And it's, again, very similar to a roundhouse kick, except the way I was always taught, you're kind of angling your your leg down a little bit, so you're tr- you're trying to strike with that bony part of your shin. Mm-hmm. And usually it's going to be, of course, delivered low uh, right. to the, like the side of the leg or the side of the opponent's shin. Those right. are the only places I personally would throw it. I mean, I don't know if people in MMA or uh, generally in kickboxing, if they do it like to the side of the the side of the body or to the head. Right. I've seen it done um, in MMA and Muay Thai, but generally conventional wisdom says to keep it below the, the waist or below the waist. The waistline is the limit. Yeah, because uh, you know, I mean, we've all had like a, someone give us a Charlie horse in the past, so right. You know, you get someone. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if because uh, since it's been a while since I've had that, I'm not sure if a strike, a good solid strike to the side of the leg, produces the same effect. But again, it can be a good thing if you're just trying to distract the opponent long enough so you can get right. out and run. Right. Okay. So really good stuff. Okay, my last technique would be the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But so-called, at least, butt scoop. Basically, you're on the ground and you're um, have your two legs up like you're going to kick the opponent, you know, so they can't get close to you. Um, basically, it's a survival move so you can get up and either run or fight it, fight some more. Because um, especially in the early days of MMA, or if you see the old Valley Tudo fights from Brazil, that was used for a lot of effectiveness. Uh, most people don't want to come near you because they don't want to get kicked in the knee. So good stuff. Okay. Yeah, and I think I've seen that in the the few uh, UFC fights I've seen. So again, just definitely defensive, kind of that last uh, last ditch effort, mm-hmm. you know, to try or to try to get yourself in a better situation. Right. Okay. The next one I have is a double parry and check, and we talked a little bit about this when you know in the, when you asked me about a screamer uh, and what mm-hmm. I did there for the uh, you know the unarmed. So this is right. where, like, okay, let's say you're in a left side fighting stance and you have left side forward. Someone punches at you. You're bring, you're using first your left leg, or not your left leg, uh, your left hand to guide the attack past you, and then you're coming back around with your right hand to again continue to guide it away from mm-hmm. your body. And then usually in a scream of the way we did it is after you've done that, you can uh, grab use your your second hand to grab onto their wrist to control it. And that leaves your, your lead hand there in a perfect position where you can, you know, do a hammer fist or a heel palm, mm-hmm. you know, or just a straight punch or whatever you need to do. So right. I always liked that one because it, it's more relying on redirecting the attack as opposed to actually right. blocking and absorbing it. That technique, would that be what the GQ and Joe people consider trapping in that context? I would consider a trapping because again mm-hmm. you're you're keeping let because let's be honest we know that well this is one of the criticisms people have about uh, some martial arts is that they teach you how to do the technique they it's like they assume that the person's hand is still going to be out there when right. obviously we know no one's going to punch and then just hold their hand out but right. this is why why I like and why I think it's practical because yeah you've got their arm out and you're preventing them from retracting it. So yeah, right. I guess you could see it as a trap and okay. um you know, so then it leads you into it gets you in a position where you can do other fun things as well. Good. Just want to know for my information. Okay. Okay, what you got next? My next would be wakigatame. It's basically a shoulder lock uh, derived from judo and older Br- Japanese 
jujitsu styles, although they um, Brazilian jujitsu sometimes teaches it too. It's basically you've got your one hand on person's wrist and the other hand on their shoulder, and you're levering them down like that. Like you know, Al can see me, but the audience can't, of course. But <laughs> basically, using it as a lever to bend their wrist back or their shoulder back. Pretty effective. Even I've seen smaller people, at least uh, inspiring, pull it off against a lot bigger people. You know, when you demonstrate how to put someone in it, so okay. I like that. Yeah, and that's uh, I can I can visualize what you're trying to describe there. Um, so again, good. So you could turn that into a throw or a takedown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I do like that idea and that technique. Uh, for one of the same reasons I like the sweeping, you know, the, like the leg sweep takedown we talked about before, is that it gets the opponent on the ground, but since you're still on your feet, that gives you the option to run away. Um, mm-hmm. Or if you're in a situation where, you know, you think that the person that's attacking you might have friends nearby to help, since you're still on your feet, it gives you that, you know, more options than if you were to go down to the ground with the person. Right. And okay. also, it's one of those techniques where you can apply as much or as little pressure as you want. Which is always good because, you know, maybe, depending on the situation, maybe just applying a little bit of pressure might be enough to make the person back off. Where, right. you know, if you've got someone, they are serious about hurting you, you can really put more pressure on them to, again, try to either get them to give up or get them to the ground. Exactly. Okay. My next technique, uh, the when I was in Kung Fu, it was called the crane kick. In Kung Nu, it's called the stomping kick. So mm-hmm. this is one, it's going to be very similar to the instep uh, foot kick that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. So this is one, it's usually going to be done with your rear leg. And so you lift it up, and it's uh, kind of like a low kick that you can deliver to usually the knee, but you can also throw it to the shin uh, or the the instep as well so Mm -hmm. it's i guess the best way to explain it it, it's kind of like an inverse side kick except it's specifically for the lower part of the body so one of the reasons i like that one since it's a lower kick it's going to be a lot harder for the opponent to block it or counter it but in the style of kung fu i studied we had the first form and several of the other uh forms had techniques where after you block and you would counter, there were a lot of double strikes where you'd be like punching. And then at the same time, you'd be kicking with that, uh, you know, using that crane kick or that stomping kick. Right. Yeah. Sounds very good. Okay. I've seen you demonstrate it a few times. Um, I like it. (laughs) Okay. So what do you got for your last one? For my last one, I would have to say the, um, the back mount, like when you're on on a guy's back and you know, got your hooks in and you're working out of there, um, it's effective to know if never no other reason, so you know how when someone's trying to put it on you, so you can like preempt preemptively, you know, um, grapple your way out of it. Okay. You know, because some people, especially in the early days when jujitsu was still new, it could get totally caught off guard with a technique like that. So. Okay, and and yeah, the so again, since grappling is not something I know as much about, but yeah, I mean, any you know anything that's going to catch an opponent off guard is always going to be a good thing, in my opinion. <laughs> right. So, for my last one, uh, the retreating cat stance. Now, there's cat stances in many in several different martial arts, mm-hmm. and 
in the uh, style of kung fu I studied, uh, the cat stance was one that was used more for like developing balance. But right. you could there was also a way to use it for retreating, where uh, what you would do is your your back leg it shoots back along the ground, and then your your elbow goes back before you you know at the same time. And there's a couple different ways you can use it. I mean, if someone was sneaking up behind you, of course, you could give them a good elbow. But the main mm -hmm. purpose of it is since your your foot and your elbow are going back first, this way, if you are trying to retreat uh, with a sudden jump back, this way you've got something there to know. You, you know, It's a way to know if there's something behind you. So, right. uh, you know, if some, whether there's like a wall or someone's trying to, to sneak up behind you, you're going to be aware of it. So, again, going back. Got the angle. Mm -hmm. Yep. And again, going back to what we were talking about before about how being aware of your surroundings is really one of the most important techniques you can have. I did want to mention a couple of techniques that, while effective, I wouldn't teach most people because, um, to me, they could get you hurt more than be able to defend yourself what would be a headbutt now while i know a headbutt is really great and it's used to great effectiveness um especially when you teach someone like women or again lgbtq people or something like that or kids their neck muscles won't have the strength to absorb the kind of impact that have a good headbutt is gonna put you know give you and which is funny, I see a lot of uh, instructions for women to, to defend themselves against a guy who's, when the picture at least is two, you know, twice as big as they are, the guy's bum rushing him and has the woman defend him with a headbutt. Well, she's going to get knocked out, knocked out cold or, or hurt very seriously if she does that. So that's something that, while it's good, if you know how to do it or if you're, you've got the neck strength to do it, it um, even people... It, to do a good headbutt requires training at, you know, that, you know, more than you'd think. So it's not something that I would teach a whole lot of people. Um, hmm? Yeah. And, and I can understand. I mean, it's not a technique for everyone and I now don't really use headbutts, but I can see mm -hmm. that if you hit wrong or if you hit in a harder area, you might, you know, you might end up hurting yourself more than the opponent. <laughs> right. Right. Um, second would be probably uh, a judo style hip throw okay. only because, it's effective, but to do that, you know, you have to position yourself to where your opponent is behind you. And I don't like the idea of letting, uh, at least in a real confrontation, anyone behind me. You know, you know, you never know what they have in their hands, a weapon, or um, they could use the leverage quick and, you know, or what their experience would be. So I don't like that. For, for competition, you know, no matter what competition you're in, it's good. For a confrontation in the real life, it's not. Yeah, and I have to say probably my biggest honorable mention would probably be the guillotine choke um, mm -hmm. because, I mean, I've seen it used in MMA matches uh, to, right. uh, you know, to, to good effect. But I guess the thing that would make it, why well, I think it would be helpful, you of course, you always have that risk that the person still might be aware enough to try to punch you on the, the groin or still try to counterattack. But still, that's one that I think can be very helpful as well. Mm-hmm. Just want to say one last time, don't try these at home. This is academic we're talking about, so that's my disclaimer. Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely take our disclaimer. These are just our opinions. And again, like with any self-defense situation, and I, I definitely encourage you, if you're not familiar with the laws on self-defense in your home or you know your state or your country, definitely take a look into them um, because I, I think people who 
do know martial arts are usually ha- legally held to a different standard than people who don't know anything. So Exactly. Well, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope you found these, this discussion entertaining and informative, and we'll catch you guys next time. All right, man. Take it easy. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.